Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Tell a friend, 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 and leave a five-star review. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Glug, 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 glug. That's right, bitches. This is Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where two longtime besties with breasties drink a shit ton of wine and talk about women from history that you haven't heard of but definitely should have. I'm Kelly. And I'm licking garlic lace potato chip flavor off my fingers valid i'm also emily <laughs> and i'm the friend who licks garlic i, did, I mean i do it bread i just wasn't eating them yes so. <laughs> hey you know what it's all about balance and fueling your body is incredibly important don't deprive yourself of garlic bread flavored lays potato chips hashtag not sponsored by lays right they could be a little bit of a garlic eater but they're decent. I mean, we've talked about how there is no such thing as overdosing on garlic. Right. I probably could have like taken a tablespoon and just like of minced boop. garlic, popped it on there and like used it as a Same. dipping sauce. That would be delicious. Oh my God. Can we do that? Yes. Oh my God. Let's just melt a bunch of butter, put a ton of minced garlic in it and dip everything in it. That sounds delicious. Okay. Or maybe we just eat it with a spoon. <laughs> just... What kind of soup is that? It's not soup. Hashtag personalized my heart garlic. attack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. My road to a heart attack, an Emily story. <laughs> Co-authored by Kelly. Co-authored by Kelly. Co-murdered by Kelly, who didn't who saw it happen and did nothing to stop it. <laughs> who assisted and joined in. Assisted garlic butter's death. Death. Yep. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's fine. We can do whatever I want. Oh my God. Thank you for so much for joining us for another episode. You're still totally still high back. off of each other. <laughs> yes. We're still back. We are still here. Um, Unfortunately, so is our like depression cycle because last yeah. week oh we were both like, yeah, Mayo women, Rochester, Minnesota babes. And now we're like genocide. <laughs> like it's bad. <laughs> it's not great. Um, we apparently both decided to go hard and heavy for our second episode. Returning to you, um, may the odds be ever in our favor because they were not in these people's. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully you'll it. come back next week for hopefully another upswing. Um, I'm trying to think of what I cover next and I'm like, is it? Though? I know I can't, I can't fully remember either. Mine, I, mine is a, mine will at least be a little upswing. Like, it gets real bad at the beginning of my story, but then it upswings at the end. But we have some more wine, so. We do. Tell us about this wine, Kelly. So, I think during October of last year, we covered, I think it's still just called Juggernaut, um, but that was a Cab Sauv, and it had a lion on the front. Yeah, Wolverine's bitchy brother. Yeah. <laughs> this one is Juggernaut. Oh, wait, but it's... that's Sabretooth. I'm yeah. thinking of the other mutant named Juggernaut. There's another the big guy with the yeah. little helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Here's the weird thing. I'm nerdy enough to realize there are three mutants and like 
mistake but i'm not nerdy yeah. enough to like totally know their relationship I, but i'm nerdy enough to like be like wait that's I, not correct I thought you were just saying the drawing was like wolverine's brother nope. and so i was like yeah sure whatever nope there's wolverine and Sabretooth, and then there's juggernaut who yeah, as far as i know different. is not related to either no. of them he's generally a bad guy god damn it um but this one has like an eagle on it and it's a juggernaut pinot noir pinot newer newer i felt like a red wine which is weird. I never feel like red wines. But it says, Cool breezes and damp fog build character in this Russian River Valley Pinot Noir. French oak complements bold red fruit and floral aromatics with a veil of vanilla, waffle cone, and toasty oak. Both graceful and vigorous, Tinderline. This <laughs> wine opens with a perfume of white flowers followed by persistent flavors of red cherries and berries. Okay, the whole first opening of this made me think of Scotland. Like, it's yeah. cold and foggy, but you're into it. <laughs> like, they were just missing the peat moss. That's how I want people to remember me. That's how I want people to describe me sexually. Exactly. Like, graceful and vigorous. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Mm. You know who you are listening and you know what to do now. Anyway. <laughs> Call us graceful and vigorous. Yes, always. All right. Well, shit. What are we cheersing to? Not knowing the X-Men very well. Sure. Kitty Pride's my favorite anyway, so everyone else can go fuck themselves. Rogue. Ooh, she's... Here's the thing. I would love Kitty Pride's powers in real life. Like, I know they're not the most sexy or exciting, but how useful would they be? If you're the moving stuff, through, that's the walking yeah. through walls, right? Yeah. If you're moving stuff, if you're trying to get in someplace, if you're trying to get out of someplace, def- defense, offense, I can stick my hand through someone's chest, solidify and give them a heart attack, move my hand out. And everyone just thinks I had a heart attack from eating too much garlic that's just soaked in melted butter. I don't know. I always really liked Rogue. Like her powers suck. Like you I can't like be with another person. I think, well, I think you can if you wear gloves. I don't know. It depends on which comic you read and stuff like that. there's no love with no glove. But she was always just so fucking sassy, and I loved her. See, she was great as a character, would not want her superpower. Um, I also really liked Gambit. Mm, Yeah, I'm bad at cards, though. I'm still the person, like, when we play card games, I'm shuffling. I always do them under the table, because, like, I don't know how to do the bend and, like, the the bridge and stuff. I just, like, mash them up in my hands and, like, hope no one's looking at me where I'm like, they're shuffled. But yeah, no, I mean, I just, I just think Kitty Pride's powers would be really useful, practical. Yeah, I don't know. What powers would you have if you were an X Men? Also, have you, have you seen that meme where it's, um, it's screenshots from the X Men movies in the early aughts, and I think it's from the second one where someone like comes up with a quote unquote cure. Oh yeah, for being a mutant, and. Professor Xavier's talking about and Rogue is like, oh my God, there's a cure for us. And Storm yeah. Steps is like, there's not because there's nothing wrong with us. And the comments are like, says the woman who can change the weather, the weather to the woman who cannot touch other people without killing them. Right. Yes, there is nothing wrong with you. <laughs> and I'm like, that's actually a really good point. Some of the powers, great. But like, I think that's a great example of it's about choice, mm-hmm. you know? And I think there are societal factors that come into that where it's like, do you want to get rid of your powers because people have made you feel bad for having them or because they are legitimately detrimental to your life? Right. And at the end of the day, 
that's up to you. Do I shave under my armpits because society tells me I have to or because I like it? At the end of the day, I don't know, but I like it, so I do it, you know? Yeah. Let's just make this an X-Men feminist podcast. Sounds great <laughs> to just, me. Let's just, we'll just read a comic the- and then we'll tell you how anti-feminist it is. Or like- Or how good it was. Yeah, yeah, no. Let, let's just talk about the, the civil rights themes within X-Men forever. But that's actually not what you tuned in for. So let's get back to what we normally do, which is poorly describing little herd of historical figures. You haven't heard of, but definitely should have. And now you will. Shit, do we cheers? Yes. To not knowing X-Men. I already did our full intro, too, and you just repeated it. (sighs) I've been drinking. I have to go first. It feels so good to be back. Okay, I I need to be drinking. Still riding that high. Um, So I I do just want to do a... I don't usually do these at the top of my episodes. I usually do them preemptively. Um, But especially now, I just want to do a trigger warning for... Uh, physical and sexual violence against women, particularly women of color and trans women. This story is rough. rough. There are not a lot of positive, happy points, but sometimes those, I mean, those are some of the stories that we really need to tell. So today I am whining about a true fucking badass and survivor, Frances Thompson. Yay. So. We cover a lot of women uh, for whom details are scarce. Oftentimes their lives aren't even worth recording until they're attached to a man through marriage. However, when we're talking about marginalized women, particularly women of color, women in the LGBTQ plus community, women who aren't of high social and financial standing, the details are even harder to come by. And that is the case for today's woman, Frances Thompson, a formerly enslaved black trans woman who entered the historical record when she bravely testified before Congress about the crimes of a murderous white mob. There's your preface. It doesn't get better. That's terrible. Um, Which, again, is why I, again, if you're not in a mental place to, you know, listen to this, I totally understand. But this is a really important story that is tragically relevant today. So Frances was born into slavery around the 1840s in Alabama. And we don't know much about her early life, but that's not surprising considering she wasn't considered to be a person. She was considered to be property as an enslaved person. We know she was assigned male at birth and can safely assume that she was subjected to the horrors of slavery, such as a variety, you know, including a variety of abuses, hard forced labor, having her family split up as members were sold off. Just imagine it. It it probably happened. Right. The American. Yeah. The American Civil War began in April of 1861, about 20 years after Frances was born, just to give you an idea how long she lived before freedom you know enforced by her government was even an option and it seems that by the war's end in 1865 Frances was living as a free woman in her mid-20s okay so that's great shouldn't have had to come to well shouldn't have had to come to a civil war for us to establish that human beings deserve to be free rights yeah yeah Um, So she settled in the black community in Memphis, Tennessee, where she worked as a laundress. And while we can't say how Frances dressed and presented herself while enslaved, by this time she was living openly as a woman, keeping her face clean shaven and wearing brightly colored dresses. So 
this isn't to say that she was never a woman, but this is to say she is now actively able to present as a woman because she's not living within the confines of slavery. Frances was one of many formerly enslaved refugees who had sought protection in Memphis, Tennessee, during and after the American Civil War. Tennessee had been captured and occupied by Union forces in 1862, which is like within the first year or so of the of the American Civil War. And this made it an accessible safe haven for enslaved people just south in Alabama who fled across the border to escape the enslavers and find protection under the Union Army. So for anyone who's not familiar with the continental United States, Tennessee is kind of like it's just below the belt line. Yep. So it's kind of like the first step into the south, so it makes it a lot more accessible for people in Alabama, which I believe connects yeah. with the ocean, you know, which is like <laughs> right. south. You know, so. to, to flee. And so it's kind of this like yep. midpoint in the, you know, in fleeing north. So Memphis in particular saw a significant increase in black residents growing from 3,000 black residents in 1860 to 20,000 in 1865. And this was nearly half the population of Memphis. The former enslavers and white population of Tennessee in general did not react well to this. Shocking, I know. They deeply resented free black people whom they still saw as property. And the fact that they now had to pay for labor. What a concept. Shocking. They fucking hated it. Oh, yeah. They fucking hate it because the entire Southern economy was based around enslaved people and free labor. And therefore abuse against other human beings. And they were not super keen on having to pay for labor now. No, so they just paid shit wages for it instead. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It's not like they had to go to paying, like, Mm -mm. white people wages. They were like, oh, you can live on our land and we'll give you, like, three cents. And then you can rent the land from us and give us, like, half your your proceeds. Yeah, It was ridiculous. Sharecropping. Yay. Um, So... So, But because of all this resentment, all of this tension, all of this hatred, I'm not like, I don't want to call it tension. Like there was so much racism and that wasn't going to change just because the government had declared black people citizens. Um, This led to the creation of uh, a black club back. I'm so sorry. Black code also called black laws. Um, that put strict rules on the conduct of black people. So basically, if anyone felt that a black person was stepping out of line, they could be arrested and would even be forced to accept cheap labor contracts on plantations. So really, the response to slavery being abolished was more creative slavery. Yeah, basically. Um, And also hidden slavery where they're like, oh, we're paying you, but we're just going to take 99% of that paycheck back. Exactly, exactly. Um, And actually this whole idea of like black people stepping out of line is still a very painfully relevant concept today. You know, people have literally shot black Americans because they perceive they're somewhere they shouldn't be or doing something they shouldn't be, or they assume that they're committing a crime because they're black. Just, um... Actually, I, I'll address this at the end because I can't remember the young man's name and I don't want to tell the story without giving him due credit. But there, um, at the time of this recording, there was recently a really tragic incident where a 16-year-old boy was shot for knocking on the wrong door. Yep. Um, 
as far as I know, he he survived and he's reco- I think he's at home recovering. But I'm like, how terrible. I'm sorry. You can't even like come up to the wrong door. I have solicitors come to my door all the time. Right, I, don't I don't shoot, shoot anyone. them. Like, and it's not like he just walked in. He knocked. I have literally walked in inside to the wrong house yeah. before. And I it's did like not gr- get that shot. That is my greatest fear. Like even without thinking I would get shot. That has always been my greatest social anxiety. Yeah. And you know why I didn't get shot? Because I'm a tiny white woman and no one cares. Right. Anyway. Uh, so white police, lawyers, judges, and politicians were all complicit in this. This is why we call it a systemic issue. Why we call it systemic racism, because it's literally ingrained in our society from every level. The Memphis chapter of the Freedmen's Bureau, which was a reconstruction organization that was meant to help newly freed black people get get on their feet, which is great because obviously you can't just be like, hey, you went from being enslaved and now you're free. So like fucking figure it out. Like it's like, no, no, no. There's an adjustment to like, taking a hold of your humanity and learning how to like function in a society that completely rejected you. Um, so the Freedmen's Bureau reported that white police officers treated black suspects more harshly and would arrest black people for false charges or even minor offenses that white people wouldn't be held accountable for. Thank God that doesn't happen anymore. Police would conduct raids on parties or other gatherings that black residents threw and would arrest black women on false charges of prostitution. Thank God that doesn't happen anymore. The black residents and black union soldiers fought against this rebranded enslavement and oppression that white Southerners were trying to imp- impose on them one report stated quote colored soldiers interfere with their labors and tell the freed people that the statements made to them are false thereby embarrassing the operations of the bureau and i think that like okay so the the freedmen's bureau is talking about being embarrassed by this and i think they were being they felt that they were embarrassed by the black soldiers stepping in because it made them look like they were ineffective which if the black soldiers have to step in like maybe think of it either as a collab. Think of it either right. you are ineffective and get your shit together, or the more people are looking out for newly freed Black Americans, the better. Who cares who tells them that? Like, hey, you're just going into a different form of slave of slavery. Don't do it. As long as they don't do it, you know. Anyway. Um, So in addition to the influx of black residents in Memphis, the city had just seen an influx of Irish immigrants from 1850 to 1860. And anyone who's barely familiar with American history knows how much we really fucking hated the Irish. Yeah, it was bad. Actually, the the term paddy wagon for like a, a big cop car that you load a bunch of suspects into, it was called that because paddy was a derogatory term for Irish people. Yeah, they and they would round them up. And they would just round up Irish people. So it was literally a police wagon for Irish people. Yeah. Irish immig- immigrants fleeing the potato famine. Don't even fucking get me started on that. Oof. Um. They fled to America, and by 1860, they made up over 20% of the population. Irish immigrants to the U.S. faced horrible discrimination, but eventually did find a foothold in Memphis, um, occupying positions in the police force, government, and more. And throughout the rest of this, there are um, there is conflict between the Irish immigrants and descendants and newly settled black 
residents. This none of this is for me to say like, well, these people had it worse. So you know, oh, you didn't have it that bad. No, no, no. This is what happened. These were the tensions that existed, and none of it actually needed to exist if the people who were already settled in the United States weren't such assholes. And none of this is to say that anyone is bad or any of that. Okay. Just don't email me about it. Right. Or do. I don't read the emails. It's fine. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly does. And then she texts me and then I have a panic attack. It's fine. Yeah, it's great. It's good good system we have. Great system. Great system. Um, So the increase of free black residents in Memphis led to competition for low paying jobs that other white residents wouldn't do. The same kind of drama was playing out in the North between lower class white workers and Irish immigrants, which was one of the reasons that there was so much Irish anti-Irish sentiment. So the same thing that's happening in the North is happening in the South, but it's primarily between newly freed black people and Irish immigrants. All of this was leading to rising tensions in Memphis as newly freed blacks competed for jobs with Irish laborers. Enslavers fought to re-enslave freed black people and reconstruction organizations fought to help freed black people recover after slavery. So there are a lot of people were, there are a lot of really average people who are just trying to live. And then there are a lot of well-established people who are making that difficult. And then there are organizations who are trying to make that better. But there's a lot of competition and there's not a ton of understanding. There's not a ton of empathy. Like, it's, it's tense. So tensions would continue to build until in 1866, Memphis became the site of a brutal massacre. At the end of April 1866, black Union soldiers were discharged from service and had to turn in their weapons to the army. While waiting for their discharge pay, many of the former soldiers went out drinking and celebrating because that's what you do when you're discharged from the army. You're like, I did my job and I did a good job and now I'm done and I don't have to be in the army and I get to like live my life, but I did my duty and that's awesome. On April 30th, 1866, a group of three black soldiers and four Irish policemen were involved in a street fight. It started with taunting and led to a full-on physical altercation in which a police officer hit one of the black soldiers in the head with his firearm so hard that the firearm broke. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how much force it takes for an 1860s firearm to break when it comes into contact with a human being, but that's got to be bad. Bones are hard, but Jesus Christ. Yeah. The fight eventually did simmer down and both parties went their separate ways. But news of the altercation spread across the city. And let's just remember, this is a very tense situation where everyone is just kind of incredibly unhappy. Change needs to happen. It's not happening. Everyone's very resentful of each other. It's not great. The next day on Mar- on May 1st, 1866, a large group of black soldiers, women, and children gathered in a public play- space for an impromptu celebration. This is like separate from the incident before, but they're just like, hey, I don't know, let's like all get together and have a good time. Like that's, that's just what people do. And that's fine. The city recorder, John Crichton, ordered police to break up the gathering because God forbid more than like four black people get together. Right. Of course. You know. 
Uh, there were a few problems with this. One, the area of the gathering was outside police jurisdiction, so they literally had no authority. Right. Two, John Crichton had absolutely zero authority to order the police to do shit. I don't know what a CD recorder is, but I don't think it's synonymous with the police chief. But Ew. again, this was like, there's tensions. There was this incident the day before. Right. We cannot have a bunch of black people gathering, which is right, like inherently this, this is racist. I, yeah, it and is. I, and I'm not saying if the incident the day before it happened, this wouldn't have been the response. I think it still would have. Like, it's just like, oh, black people gathering. We can't have that because obviously there's going to be violence. Because there's that perception and it's just really awful. So all of this is totally illegal. Uh, but we've, as we've established, the police in Memphis didn't need an excuse. And four officers went out to break up the gathering. Confronted by four officers, uh, the black residents refused to disperse. Knowing they were outnumbered, the four officers, again, it's four dudes, retreated, right. retreated and black soldiers gave chase. In the chaos, one of the white officers accidentally shot himself in the leg while drawing his firearm, but blamed it on the black soldiers, who I want to remind everyone had had their weapons taken away by the United States Army. Yep. They, are just, they don't have weapons. Yeah. They're unarmed. So this guy's pulling his weapon, shoots himself, and he's like, oh, I did it. And that is all anyone need if they need anything more right. than that. Reports that an officer had been shot, not by himself, that, that was shot, conveniently yep. left out of the narrative, uh, rallied more officers and white residents until a mob had formed and again i want to be very clear this is not about ex like this specific incident this is about a lot of hate a lot of resentment decades worth of racism is just exploding right now right because like like i don't know you hear about these occurrences and it's like well that person should have done that it's like do you really think that's all this is about right like it's never not never. It is very rarely just that one incident. Yeah. Like um, the, the, the Minneapolis uprising surrounding George Floyd, obviously that was in response to his murder, but it was also a boiling point for all of these other killings committed against black people that had been unpunished. Right. Like, it, like, and uh, this isn't, for, this isn't me trying to take anything away from the, you know, George Floyd's murder, right. but it wasn't just about that. No. It was about everything. Breonna Taylor. Oh my yeah, exactly. God. It, it's never just one incident or rarely just one incident. Like when I cover these stories, like it, it, I mean, I'm not living in a, in a sinkhole or anything, but it just, all of the, all of the present day parallels that you can draw from these stories. It, it's really upsetting, you know? So by the evening, oh, sorry, uh, as the violence escalated, an officer and several black soldiers were shot and killed. At least one black soldier was caught, arrested, and shot. By the Jesus. evening, the black soldiers had retreated, but the mob was not done. Of course so not. even if you want to argue that this was in response to, like, aggression. Right. Once the aggression was neutral, we're not yeah, done. They, they backed off. Now, at this point, the other group is the aggressors. We're not done. And, like, they weren't the aggressors in the first place. Because no, they're literally trying exactly. to break up, break up a peaceful, lawful gathering. <clears throat> Does that sound familiar? So, 
They turned their attention to black homes, unleashing all-out violence as they ransacked the homes, assaulted people as they tried to flee, burned homes, churches, and schools to the ground. Horrifically, entire families were killed as the mob forced them to stay in their burning homes. That's terrible. Any black residents the mob came across were attacked and women were subjected to physical and sexual violence. This is where we really get into the sexual violence and we come back to Frances Thompson. So again, I just want everyone to be very aware of that. And if this is not something you're in a good mental place for, please skip ahead or skip to Kelly's story. And then maybe skip that one. So Frances Thompson was living with her friend Lucy Smith and and their home was targeted by male members of the mob, including two police officers who demanded that the women make them food. Trying to survive, Frances and Lucy abided making the men men food under duress. Yeah. I would also do the same thing. I'd be like, sure, what do you want? Like just- (laughs) I can't cook a lot, but what do you want? What can I do to neutralize, you know, and de-escalate the situation? The men escalated, however, demanding, quote, a woman to sleep with. Francis outright refused, which is, I can tell you right now, more than I would have said. I would have probably just frozen. Yeah. That's- Absolutely generally my fear response. Your your city is burning around you. You have a bunch of and they're like, which one of you can we men coming into your home threatening you? That's the honest to God one of it. It's not who can we sleep with. It's which one of you can we rape with minimal consent? And it's not even asking. It's this is what's happening. This is what's happening. You can choose from among yourselves of the Um, two of you. So Francis outright refused. Uh, The men responded by gang raping both women and robbing them. The devastation would last for three days. This mob terrorized this black community for three days. By the end, 46 black citizens were killed. 75 people were injured who were predominantly black and over a hundred were robbed by contrast two white people were killed one having wounded himself and the other having been killed by the white mob for associating with a black man so none none of these white people were killed in retaliation or even in defense which blows my mind but again like the the black union soldiers in the city they've been disarmed they yeah. didn't have anything right. like, well, the white point, mob, they've got all the well, guns. Well, at this point, their houses are on fire. Yes. They're stuck inside them. Like, they're not a threat. Yeah. Um. So four black churches, 12 black schools, and 89 black homes were burned. Um, and I'm not saying black to, like, I just want to really drive home that this was a racially charged massacre and that black the black community was targeted um this resulted in over one hundred thousand dollars in damage the mass arson committed was also targeted homes of black families who were seen as subservient to white people were spared so it wasn't even just like the black community was the black community who dared to fucking live their lives and were seen as a threat by i don't know being independent human beings bullshit um, so while this was a mob riot, it was a pers- purposeful and there was purposeful and clear mode behind it. This was a racially charged massacre committed by white people against black people. 
The state of Tennessee and the United States basically shrugged off the entire event. The U.S. Attorney General James Speed determined that legal repercussions were the responsibility of the state, while the state refused to take any action whatsoever. So the federal government's like, that's your problem. The state's like, cool, um, I don't think it's a problem, so we're not going to do anything. However, the Freedmen's Bureau conducted an investigation collecting affidavits from survivors and witnesses, and a congressional committee conducted an investigation interviewing 170 witnesses. This resulted in an extensive oral history of the event from both black and white witnesses. Frances Thompson was one of these witnesses because after everything she had been through, she still fucking spoke out. That's amazing. Which is so incredible because I will never fault any survivor of violence for not speaking out. It's incredibly traumatizing to revisit and to go through the well, legal system. It can be system. incredibly dangerous too. Exactly. And she's like, fuck all these people. I'm, I'm speaking. Right. Um, Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna kind of deal with this. Um, Okay, so there is a 396-page document that records the events and testimonies, and to say the least, it is devastating to read. Um, I was able to find a section header that read Frances Thompson, which details her account. Um, I did type out the entire thing. I don't know if I want to read it. Um, I, 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 was, I was struggling with my role as a white woman, you know, um, like so this document's only available in pictures so I did have to type the whole thing out and, and I can share it for people who want but I was struggling with whether or not to read it all because you know it's incredibly graphic and horrifying and I don't want to perpetuate traumatic images of violence against black and trans people um, but I also feel like her story should be remembered and accessible so I I, I will be sharing this um, but on this podcast I'm just going to read some sections um, so again, this is this is really heavy. Quote, the rape of Frances Thompson, who had been a slave and was a cripple using crutches, having a cancer on her foot is one to which reference is here made. Um, on Tuesday night, seven men, two of whom were policemen, came to her house. She knew the two to be policemen by their star. So they Whoa. are, it's not like, oh, I know they're, like they're wearing their uniforms. Right, they're, they're not acting, trying to hide it. They're acting with that authority. Um they first demanded that she should get supper for them, which she did. After supper, the wretches threw all the provisions that were in the house, which had not been consumed, out in the bayou. Uh, they then laid hold of Frances, hitting her on the side of her face and kicking her. A girl by the name of Lucy Smith, about 16 years old, living with her, attempted to go out the window. One of the brutes knocked her down and choked her. Um, they then drew their pistols and said that they would shoot them and fire the house if they did not let them have their way. The woman, Frances Thompson, was then violated by four men, so beaten and bruised that she lay in bed for three days. Um, Lucy was also severely beaten and assaulted to the point, and she was choked to the point where she couldn't speak for several days. Um, and again, I, I also want to be clear, like there's another witness to corroborate these these events. This isn't, you know... Like we, we always hear this. He said, she says like, no, these are two victims corroborating the same events of seven men coming into their home and doing this. Um, the men use 
they they threatened to kill the women. They used racial slurs. It was just this really, truly awful, horrible event. Um, and the women were truly fortunate to survive. I, I, I'm, sh- I'm shocked they were not killed. Um, the document goes on to document more acts of sexual violence committed against women by groups of men. Like this was not one guy or like a handful of men going around committing these. These were groups of men who were all emboldened by each other. Francis's testimony in particular spread throughout the South, but instead of rallying people against racist and sexual violence, Francis herself was targeted for her gender and identity as a trans woman. Rumors that she was a sex worker or brothel madam were rampant and she faced escalating harassment as if any of that stuff would justify what had happened to her. Right. Like, that's bullshit. I don't... Like... She was none of those things, and it doesn't matter right. if she was because no, I like it doesn't okay, matter. And, yeah, and the sky was blue that day. How is that relevant? Right. In July of eighteen seventy six, ten years after the massacre and her testimony, and again, remember, nothing legally about this was done. This was like the investigation was kind of almost a historical recording purpose. So Francis was arrested and jailed for quote-unquote cross-dressing along with being fined $50. She was forced to undergo numerous examinations by doctors, resulting in four doctors confirming she was biologically male. Um, I found this really upsetting because I'm like, how does it take four doctors to determine her genitalia? There, there, There are some like undocumented rumors that she was intersex i could not find anything other than like some salacious reports were like oh she's in you know that like called her the h word and things like that um but really i just see this as an incredibly violating experience regardless beyond the obvious horror of this and it's total inaccuracy because biological sex is not solely defined by genitalia and it's actually more complicated than that Come at me, chromosomes and hormones and literally everything else going on in our bodies at any given time. Exactly. It's not that easy. And the idea of being intersex. Most people who are intersex don't even know about it. Right. Because either they're they're, um, surgically... Changed at, like, birth. Yeah, at birth against their will or, like, they don't know it because it's not relevant. I'm like, I could have testicles in my body right now. And I don't know it. Does that make me less of a woman? It absolutely does not. Anyway. Um, Yeah, so I I make a comment in here like, did it really take four doctors to like do this? And was it really that important? Anyway, conservatives at the time used her arrest to cast doubts on her testimony of the massacre, which was then used to argue that the racial terrorism against black people in the South didn't exist, period. Not just the Memphis race massacre, but racism in the South, period. You know, the South that literally owned other human beings. Yeah, no, no, no. None of that existed because this victim was trans. Jesus Christ. God so, Like, that makes me feel sick. Just sick. It's absolutely sickening, and I, I just want everyone to pause. I, I feel like our listeners are pretty self-aware of this kind of thing, but it's the same kind of discredit that is still used against survivors of sexual violence today, especially survivors of color, 
trans survivors, you know, it's like, oh, well, she was dressed this way, or she's a sex worker, or she's a model, or she's this, right. or they, you know, she got Everyone in, her, she got in the car, she shouldn't have done it. There's always a quote-unquote reason that it's the victim's fault. It is never the victim's fault, because you know what would stop sexual assault? If we got rid of the sexual violence pricks. Right. Like, I walk throughout the world, and if I don't get assaulted, it's not because of the way I'm dressed. It's because I didn't encounter a rapist that day. Right. That's all that matters. Exactly. Anyway. Um, and I just want to reiterate. Um, let's. Okay. So let, let's just unpack. Oh, wait. Sorry. Um, Francis's identity as a trans woman was also used to discredit the claims by other black women of sexual and racial violence. So it's like not only like. Did this not happen to Francis? No, this didn't happen to other black women. Conservatives straight up called fake news, stating that Francis's story was a, was one that was manufactured to support Reconstruction. Thank God that doesn't happen anymore. Let's unpack this for a moment. Francis Francis was not the only woman who was sexually assaulted during this massacre. Her testimony was corroborated by another woman who was a victim of the same group of men and her testimony and physical injuries is like matches up to many of the other women who reported sexual violence during that horrific event. This isn't he he said, she said. This is 170 survivors of a verifiable massacre testified before Congress against a racially charged mob. Right. So let's remember, there were no legal consequences for any of these perpetrators. So why do they fucking care so much? Because they did it. Also, according to a study by the Williams Institute at UCLA School of Law between 2017 and 2018, trans people 16 and older were four times more often victimized than cisgender people, experiencing 86.2 victimizations per 1,000 people compared to 21.7 victimizations per 1,000 for cisgender people. Does this mean sexual violence does not happen? Or like... Like, does this mean cisgender people aren't victimized? No, it just means if you're trans, you're more likely to be victimized because you're trans and that's fucked. It is also important to note that the intersections of transphobia, misogyny, and racism that were involved in this violence. Frances was targeted out of many survivors who testified because she was trans and therefore vulnerable to this insidious character assassination. While the Tennessee justice system was pretty lax when it came to prosecuting murders and rapists, they would not abide by Francis daring to wear feminine clothing, which is truly the ultimate crime here. She was sentenced to the city's chain gang where she was severely abused. The imprisonment and abuse took its toll as within the same year of her release, Francis became ill with dysentery and died. And I have a really hard time believing she was released from prison, super healthy, and then got sick and died. Right? No, she definitely was already sick. And okay, like you've have you have you heard these stories where it's like someone will like an institution or a prison will release someone who's sick just to say that like, well, they didn't die on our watch; they died later. Yeah. Legacy. 
Frances's legacy and her story is just as important as ever. She is representative yeah. of black history, trans history, women's history, and all of its intersections. Her story is also one of a survivor who refused to say, stay silent in the face of of incredible violence during a time when black women rarely had access to legal help, especially against the violence of white men. LGBTQ activist Cece McDonald coined the term transcestry, which is the practice of telling the histories and stories of trans people to not only establish their historical existence, because a lot of people think trans trans people were invented with Kendall Jenner, or no, Caitlyn Jenner, sorry. I can't keep the Kardashians and the Jenners straight. No, I can't either. Um, But also to give present-day trans people a sense of ancestry, heritage, and family. Frances Thompson's story is a prime example of transcestry because trans people have always been here. They will always be here. And you can either stop with the hate or die mad about it. Even as a cisgender white woman, I take so much pride in Frances' story as a sur- as, of survival and her willingness to fight back and speak out against injustice. And this is kind of a bonus um, footnote. So Kelly texted me earlier asking who I was covering today. And I because I did these notes a while ago, I couldn't remember his, her exact name and I wasn't by a computer. So I Googled some basic terms of like trans woman Memphis massacre yep. and right below Francis's Wikipedia entry was the headline from the human rights campaign remembering Danielle Thompson black trans woman tragically killed this one has the same last name as Francis right like what Jesus Christ so I I, I just want to read the opening of this again this article is from the human rights campaign um Human Rights Campaign is remembering Danielle Thompson, a 35-year-old black transgender woman from Memphis, Tennessee. Danielle celebrated her 35th birthday in March, according to her Facebook profile, and expressed gratitude for being able to, quote, prosper, grow, and achieve once again. Danielle was killed in Memphis on November 13th, 2021, marking the at least 48th violent killing of a transgender or gender nonconforming person in 2021. Um, We say at least because too often these deaths go unreported or misreported, as is the case with Danielle, who was misgendered in the sole news report on her death available at the time of publishing, which is another incredibly common um, thing that comes up with these cases um i'm i'm not going to go into the 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 details of her death because again this has already been a very violent spilled episode her killer has not been found um if you are or have been in the memphis tennessee area around this time i really encourage you to look her up d-a-n-y-a-l-e thompson um if you know anything please report it um, because this is just, Danielle was a, you know, this kind, caring, vibrant individual. And unfortunately she is one of many who have been taken from us entirely too soon. Um, there's a quote from Tori Cooper of the human rights campaign. Um, 
director of community engagement for the Transgender Justice Initiative that reads, having lost yet another black transgender woman to such tragic means is heartbreaking, but also serves as a reminder that we must continue to fight for the safety of our community, especially when it comes to gun control. Too often members of the transgender community are senselessly and violently taken from us by firearms. Danielle's death comes as a somber time for the community as we recognize this year as the most violent and deadliest year on record for our community. And Danielle's story is representative of many others. And the reason we're talking about her today is because she was murdered in the same city as the violence was committed against Frances Thompson. She even has the same last name. She's another trans woman of color. Yeah. And these are these these occurrences are over a hundred years apart, right? And this is Same still shit, happening, and this is or, still a huge yeah. problem, and it's bullshit. And that really, like, that should make us all feel sick to our stomachs, because it doesn't need to be that way. Um. Yeah, uh, my story was really sad. Uh, it's really important. I think it's still really relevant to you know, our world today, unfortunately, but just as important. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to, or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. Kelly, who are you whining about? Because I haven't touched my wine at all this whole time. Because <laughs> I'm like, I need to, I need to like read these words coherently. Otherwise, I'm an asshole. Yeah. This is also a story that I didn't think was going to be as detailed as it was. But once I got into like the Memphis, excuse me, the Memphis race massacre, I was like, oh my God, why haven't I learned about this? So I'm hoping I'm telling my story right because my person is still alive. That's what we're going to start with. At us. Do not at <laughs> Kelly's us. Kelly's like, please, dear God, never hear this. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, well, okay. Good news. She's alive. How wonderful. Yeah. We're already <laughs> starting ending. out on a much better note. Um, So very similar to Emily. I don't do my trigger warnings at the beginning very often, but uh, my story is also very dark. There's a light, little light at the end, um, actually a decent light at the end. However, that being said, the first decent chunk of my story is pretty rough, and this is one big trigger warning for sexual abuse. 
So yeah, like Emily said, if you're not in a place to hear it, it may just be best to skip. This this week this episode might is just, just not for you. It's I'm not sorry. For you. Go back and listen to like last week's last week's. Was I was funny. gonna say last week we were fucking unhinged. Just re-listen to that. It's fine. Um. So like I said, I'm whining about Franca Viola, which I love that name. I do too. It's very pretty. Viola. Viola is the last name. I love that. It's like the instrument. Um, Sofrango was born in a rural town of Alcamo in Sicily. So mine's not even happening in the United States. Okay. So we get to hear about other things fucked up outside the United States. You know, that degree of separation is actually really nice. <laughs> You're still going to get just as angry. Damn it. Um, so she was the oldest daughter of a farmer and his wife. And at the age of 15, she became engaged as one does in 1963. 1963. That is way too recent to be getting engaged at the age of 15. Wait, I'm sorry. She was 15? Yep. I thought she was 19. I'm like, okay, that's like, at least she's legally an adult. That's gross. So that's nasty. Like, that's way too recent. I had crushes on anime characters when I was 15. I was in no place to be married, let alone even date anyone. So to a douche canoe named... I, this guy might still be alive and I might get in trouble. I I really don't care. He's a douche canoe. Uh, Filippo Melodia. Sorry if I'm giving the story away by saying he's a douche canoe. You know what? Unfortunately, there, there are so many instances where we mention the husband, the fiance, the father. And we're like, okay, hold on. Do we like this person? No. Because I'm just going to. Too no. often they're an antagonist in the story, which is so crappy because I don't want them to be. Uh, All right, anyways. back to du- Can we just call him Douche, douche Canoe? canoe? Sure. Yeah. Um, he was 23 at the time and a nephew of a mafia member in Sicily. What a gem. Yeah. He was subsequently arrested for theft, and uh, Franca's father was like, nope, you, no, you can't marry that guy. Which, like, thank you for having, like, your daughter's back and being like, no, like, this guy's clearly not good for you. Please don't marry him. It was fine if he was in the mob, but not if he's in the mob and gets arrested for it. Well, and maybe he, maybe he didn't know he was in the mob until he got arrested. Still, maybe don't promise your 15-year-old daughter to a grown man. In I, any case. <laughs> I couldn't find if it was like an arranged marriage or like if she chose him or what it was. 15-year-olds can't choose shit at the... They, Okay, maybe not saying, in Italy they can. I'm not going to say they can't choose shit. They cannot be choosing who to marry at 15. That's fucked. Anyways, um, she did she did call off the engagement and um, Douche Canoe would move to Germany for a year. I don't really know why. I don't really care why. Um, and by the time he would come back a year later, Franca was engaged to another man because good for her. Okay. Um, I however, mean, she's 16 now. Douche Canoe was not having it. Um, and, and when he returned, shockingly, Franca still didn't want to marry him because he's still probably an asshole. Um, also and, good for her. Right, exactly. Good for her for sticking to her guns. Because again, like, okay, I think we've all been there where the asshole comes crawling back and we cave. She's 16 years old and being like, fuck off. Like, no. Yeah, exactly. Fuck you. Yeah. Um, so, unfortunately, that meant Douche Canoe would resort to violent measures with the assumption that the law was behind him. And we'll get to this. 
We'll get to the laws that made him think that Wait, he would be in the right. The law or the mob? The law. Kelly, Kelly, did I burst a blood vessel in my eye yet? The law. I just went to the eye doctor. I, I can't go back, but I feel like my eyes are tremoring with blood right now. Oh, I was so mad when I was writing this. I actually don't even know why I'm surprised because the law kind of, like even today, so defends no, like, rapists. This, and I, I think this is worse than you're going to think it is. Maybe not, though. Okay, let's so just he let's started just go stalking in. her and threatening both her father and her boyfriend. God fucking damn it. Obviously, like, he, her rejection of him just made him angry and angrier. And so he planned to take revenge for her audacity, as he called it. That's what he called it. So in the early morning hours. What of, an incel son of a bitch. On the early morning hours of December 26th, because, you know, you got to let him have Christmas. This is the day after Christmas. Exactly. December 26, 1965, Douche Canoe and a group of 12 to 15 of his friends broke into Franca's home, kidnapped Franca by dragging her into a car, in the process beating up her mother and taking Franca's eight-year-old brother, Mariano, who refused to let go of his sister. He's eight years old? And he's, I assume, trying to protect his sister- and so he won't let her go. And so they just take him too. They from My, okay. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. I just I yeah. need a second. This is I told you. This I think this is most people's ultimate fear. Like you're sleeping at home, and not only does one creep break in. I know. I'm like, first of all, why do you a, need twelve to fifteen people? A, Dozen creeps break in, beat up your mother, beat up your eight-year-old brother because they're no, they, they took the brother with them. Oh my god! Because he wouldn't let go of his sister. Okay, so they so they kidnap a sixteen-year-old girl and her eight-year-old eight brother. brother and beat up the mom. And they perp- from what I was right reading, they planned it purposely for when Franca's father wasn't home the day after Christmas. Yeah, douche canoe. Oh my god! Okay, just keep going. <laughs> I don't. Are you sure? Just well. Can, um, can I leave the room? <laughs> so Mariano was released just a few hours later, basically once they could separate him from his sister. Um, and Franca would not be so lucky. She was held for over a week. Oh my um, god! And Douche Canoe's sister and her husband's home, which who I assume weren't home at the time. I would hope so. If they're um, complicit in this, yeah, I'm setting fire to something i'm done but basically this house was like a little farmhouse on the outskirts of town where they wouldn't be bothered uh and where douche canoe repeatedly raped her from what i could find it was just him so it wasn't like all 12 to 15 members but still it's terrible after the assaults um Douche Canoe would tell her that she would now be forced to marry him because she so she wouldn't be become a dishonored woman. And Franca calmly replied that she had no intention of marrying him. And moreover, she would sue and kidnap him for rape. Remember. Or convict him. For no, for kidnapping and rape. Oh, sorry. I thought you said sue and kidnap him no, for rape. Sue and for I'm like kidnapping no, no, no. and rape. <laughs> I don't think that's how this works. So she is still currently being held, and she's like, no, I'm not gonna fucking marry you, and I'm going to get you for doing this. Okay. Franca 
She's a badass. She is the baddest bitch. And she is 16 years old. Right. She's seen, she's been abducted by over a dozen men. Her brother has been abducted and then released, who I'm sure was just so terrified just terrified traumatized beyond reason her mother's been beat up she's been repeatedly raped and i i know people don't like the word rape but like let's call it what it is right it's a bad thing to do it's not a bad thing to say right um i like that you say that that's gonna something similar to that's gonna come in later okay i I think you'll appreciate it um like i i typically use the term sexual assault when we don't know exactly what happened you know because that kind of encompasses everything but yeah She's being raped by this fucking creep. He says, oh, by the way, because I raped you, now you have to marry me. And she's like, you're going to be dishonored. And she's like, that's not how this works. She's like, you can can kindly go fuck yourself. Also, I'm going to pursue you legally. Like, 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 like I would be so She's even acting like she's going to get out of this to legally pursue it. I'd just be like, whatever you want to get me out of this situation. I would be so terrified and i want to be very clear like we're we're talking about how we feel we would react first of all none of us know how we would react until we're in that situation second of all franca's a badass all of the reactions to this extreme violence are natural it doesn't matter how you react it is natural and i'm still gonna call franca a badass oh no she a (laughs) hundred percent is i cannot even imagine i can't even imagine standing up to my like teacher at 16 years old let alone someone holding me captive and torturing me so five days into this ordeal douche canoe because you told me to call him that i i I don't even want to know his name he's a fucking piece of shit and i Um, hope he dies a horrible death contacted franca's father bernardo with a passiata which is Sicilian for appeasement. Basically, this was supposed to be like a striking of a deal between a family of men and a woman, a woman who have eloped, quote unquote eloped. So he's basically trying to be like, oh, you're I didn't kidnap your daughter, even though I beat up your wife. Um, God, but we, you know, we it. eloped together and like, I'll bring her back if you let me marry, like consensually marry her and blah, 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 blah. Bernardo pretended to negotiate with him like savvy he knew they were kidnappers saying he agreed and consented to this marriage while at the same time behind douche canoes back collaborating with the police to dragnet it to get his daughter back god okay bernardo yeah like good job dad (laughs) he's fucking doing the work like i again as a as a parent to someone in, uh, to a child in this situation i can't imagine how i'd react um he's handling a lot better than i can imagine right? handling it because because really i, I, I like think me, i'd be like just give me my daughter well i think they're really seeing through this guy is that he's trying to like like he knows if he just takes her mm-hmm. well the heat's going to be on but like you said he feels that the laws are on his side so if he can force things to happen in a quote-unquote legal way he feels protected exactly and he's going to commit physical and emotional terrorism on this young woman and her family to get there but he's yeah even the fact that he thought this was going to work out legally is really disgusting i'll explain that god damn it don't (laughs) so franca was freed and her kidnappers were arrested on january 2nd so eight days Eight days total from when she got kidnapped to when she got rescued. And this was seven days before her 18th birthday. So she was 17 when this was going down. Oh, my 
fucking God. She said, so this is between Christmas and her birthday. Even exactly. So when she got home, she, she said that her father asked her like, Hey, do you you actually want to marry like douche canoe? Like, was it not a kidnapping? Did I get any, get this wrong? And she's like, no, thank you for rescuing me. Please help me pursue legal action. And her family, like her dad and her family were all like, yeah, let's do it. This okay. is the first time in at least eight days where anyone has been like, hey, what do you like? Right. Wh- okay, first of all, what are you, what do you want? And how can I support you in that? Right. So once Franca was returned to her family, Dushkanu comes and offers Franca a rehabilitating marriage. That's what it's called. So here's a little background on this. We're going to call it a tradition. We're going to call it a tradition. I've never heard of this, and I feel like I'm going to regret it. So in 1960s Sicily, so th- there's like a layer here. So there was a custom called futina, which was a Sicilian word for elopement, which had long been practiced like in that southern area where Sicily is. <laughs> oh, yeah, and like the heel of the boot. I actually know where Sicily is. I know. Is. I'm like, uh... Everyone's like, Emily, that's not where Sicily is, you think, dumb bitch. I think it is. Maybe it's at the toe. I don't know. So in this custom, a couple wanting to marry would elope from the houses for a few days, and then once returned, the girl's parents would have no options except to marry her to her suitor as matrimonia repertory or a rehabilitating marriage. Because she's to already... To save her reputation in the family's honor. Because she's had sex... So the way allegedly, that, yeah. so the way that is written to me that, that at least the, this first part is that they're still consenting to elope together. Oh, totally. But it's like if the parents aren't consenting to the marriage, it's the couple forcing their hand to save exactly. the girl's reputation, which again is a bullshit concept. So the reason that this happened is because if the woman didn't marry the man, then she was viewed as Donna Sferganata or a woman without honor. AKA a shameless woman, a whore, whatever derogatory, terrible term you want to term it. We have so many of them to choose from. Yeah. Like you said, Emily, it's because it's assumed she lost her virginity and would remain unwed, which is viewed as dishonorable. These concepts have never been exclusive to Sicily or rural areas or anything like that. So I'm not like saying Sicily is alone in this thinking. However, this is what happened. And to some extent, um, this was implicit into the Italian penal code, so not just Sicily of the time, because there was an article, the 544 article, which equated rape to a crime against public morality rather than a personal offense. So it's not a crime against a person. It's a crime against public morality, which is not. No, this is a crime against a person. A rape is a crime against an individual person. Also, can it be both? Yeah, like, no, I mean, it is kind like, of both. Like, You're to right. commit rape should be an offense against all of society. We should all be upset about that. Right. But let's not disregard but I think the individual harm you've caused to the survivor. Exactly. I think that's victim. what it is, is, is like the severity of it for a public morality is a lot less than a personal offense. God, what does that say about public morality? Um, also, this article 544 formalized the idea of rehabilitating marriages stating that a rapist who marries his victims can have his crime automatically expunged thank god that doesn't happen anymore especially in the united states of america where rapists can impregnate underage 
girls and then marry them. It's so gross. So in addition to this essentially state-sanctioned violence, a rape victim t- typically became a target for ridicule and blame. Um, they would often be forced into these marriages via intimidation and social scorn. And then she would marry her rapist to save her family's honor. No girl dared to refuse this because refusing it meant being labeled as a, like I said, I rewrote a shameless hussy. I don't know why I chose those words. Because I Um, think we need a a term that's less fucking heavy. Basically, in other other words, at, at this time, women had neither rights nor respect nor say in any of this. And I, I think what's really important in what you're bringing up is the shame because in a very technical sense, the young woman has, you know, they can choose to run away with the gun. They can choose their, no, they're being in, they're being forced to, either through physical or emotional coercion and shame. Right. Because even at that point, then the family, it's in it's in the best interest for your parents to force right. you to marry so, your rapist. So the fact that she's coming out of this saying, no, I don't want to marry him is a big deal. And the fact that her family is like, okay, we're going to stand behind you is also a big deal. That's just like really beautiful. Like, right. like I, I feel very emotional about that because again, you're, as you've described, this is not the societal norm for the woman to be like, you know, to, right. to be able to be in a position to stand up and be like, I don't want this. And then for the family to support her, which is huge. huge. And that is not something everyone gets. Right. So like I said, Franca refused douche canoes ever so kind offer at a reparation marriage. <laughs> Like, literally, it makes me want to vomit. Yeah. Thus, like I said, acting against the common practice as well as, like, the societal norm at the time. After Franca refused to marry her rapist, her family members were reportedly menaced, ostracized, and persecuted by the people in their town. Their vineyard and barn were burned. These events and the eventual trial resonated powerfully within all of Italy in the media and the public, and the parliament itself ended up getting directly involved as it became very obvious that these archaic laws were no longer in, you know, public, were good in public opinion. Basically, public opinion is like, yeah, maybe we should stand behind our women. You know, it's interesting. You're talking about public opinion, but this family is still being terrorized. Oh, yeah. Like, like, even if the majority is like, this is fuck. This family is still facing physical, financial consequences for not forcing their daughter to To marry marry her her kidnapper and rapist. This also. Why is it their fault? I'm okay. Yeah. No. Yep. Everyone's screaming with me. I don't have to do it. Let's just keep going. Sorry. Right. So obviously this is going to trigger a lot of uncomfortable debates among the populace of Italy and had a lot of people questioning this archaic system that was very, very unfair to women. Shocking. Crowds flocked to these different debates about the trial, which was also covered by the New York Times with a headline reading, no admirers call on Sicily's Franca. And I'm like, excuse me, New York Times, but go fuck yourself. I'm sorry. She was kidnapped and raped and you're talking about, she has no admirers. Fuck you. I got really mad at the American newspaper there. That's like a, hey, scale of one to 10, would you fuck this sexual assault victim who's seeking justice for being assaulted? Exactly. What? So, of course. What? I know. So, of course, when they went to trial, Douche Canoe's lawyers tried every trick in the book. 
from basically saying that Franca was willing and it wasn't kidnapping, it really was an elopement, to trying to buy and threaten witnesses with money and violence. Franca, through the entire trial, continued her fight with quiet dignity, saying, quote, I will marry the man I love. You know, it's basically too. she's like, I don't love you and I'm not going to marry you just because you are trying to force me to. You know, it also sucks. It, like you, you say that phrase, quiet dignity. And, and we see that like Anita Hill, yep. you know, all, all these different cases where the woman has to go up and, and they, they just kind of sit there and detail these really horrible things that happen to them. And they know they're so aware that if they have emotion, if they cry, it like it if makes they them look step weak, out, which it, is bullshit. It makes them look weak or in, or disingenuous or like, oh, she's just crying because she's trying to get emotion. It's like, I don't know, maybe she's crying because this right. is really so the, traumatic. They end up looking like really not like cold, but they end up like that. Like they said, the quiet dignity where they they look yeah. very stoic, and but you can they, you can tell they're emotional, but yeah. they're like keeping it in check. But they have to. But then the guy, oh yeah, yeah like you Brett Kavanaugh, raging and screaming and having a bullshit. goddamn tantrum, and it's like, well, it's because he's being accused of this horrible thing. Okay, so what does it mean when the survivor of sexual violence gets of emotional? this horrible thing? Yeah, gets yeah, emotional. It's bullshit. I. I don't understand it. And it's like, I'm sorry. I thought women were supposed to be the ones who were allowed to show their emotions while she's having to maintain this quiet. And I guarantee you, she knows. Franca strikes me as a, as a, even at this age, someone who knows how she needs to present herself. And that does not discredit anything she went through, but she knows what she has to do to, to work within this unfair system that is set up to, right be yeah. against her right so she also stated during her trial and this kind of brings me back to what you said earlier but she said quote honor is lost by those who do certain things not by those who suffer them oh my god franca she's so like that's, 17 that's, or 18 years old right now before I just, when you said like rape is a like a bad thing to happen but it does, it's not like a bad word or it's not like yeah, something yeah, we yeah, shouldn't yeah. talk about that's Ra- what this this is what it reminds me of is yeah like, Honor is lost by those who do the thing, not those who suffer. It. Rape, rape is a is a bad thing to do, not a bad word to say. Yeah, if so it's, I like that. If it's what happened, honor you know? is lost by those who do certain things, not by those who suffer them. Oh my God, Frank! I just want to kiss your feet right now. She's still alive. You can do it. I know. I know. Like, um, I, I, I just, I can't believe. The composure, not only that she had to have at this time at her age, but that she was able to maintain that just after everything she went through. Right. So at the beginning of the trial, a lot of local newspapers particularly would call her a spinster. She's like 18. She's 18. (laughs) And and suggest that she had bucked tradition, which is true. She had. Um, It's a terrible tradition. However, as the trial would go on, newspapers would start describing her as heroic and firm in her resolution and would transform her into a truly like feminist icon, both in Sicily and worldwide. So the best we're getting to the lighter part of the episode now. Okay. So he would be douche canoe was found guilty. Thank you, Jesus. He was sentenced to 11 years in prison. Are you fucking kidding me? That's better than nothing. It was later reduced to 10 years with a two year period of compulsory residence. Five of his friends were acquitted and the others received relatively mild sentences. 
Uh, like I said, it sounded like from what I could find that they were only complicit in the kidnapping. That's still really terrible. That's still really fucked up. Right. Um, so Dushkanu was released in 1967 and was killed shortly thereafter, mafia style, before he could return to Sicily. Boo, hoo, hoo. Everyone cried. Moving on. No one was sad. So the article of law whereby the rapist can, um, you know, expunge his crime by marrying his victim was sadly not abolished until 1981. So it is abolished, but it took him about like 13 more years after this trial. 1981? Sexual violence became a crime against a person instead of public morality in 1996. This is in Italy, remember? <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. And if anyone's like, Emily, you're being so harsh on Italy. I'm not because there are states in this country where it's way worse. It's still questionable. But it's still horrifying. So <laughs> Franco would go on to marry by choice later in life. Or not even that much later. She's 21. So like. Three years later, she married oh a man God. named Giuseppe Russi. Giuseppe. Yes, which I love that name too. I do too. So um, they had actually been like ch- kind of childhood sweethearts. They both really liked each other. And uh, Giuseppe was an accountant and he insisted he would have married the girl or he insisted to marry the girl that he loved despite any threats and rumors. He actually would request like, I don't, some people said firearms. Some people just said like, for some sort of protection because after he obtained a marriage license he him and his bride to be were getting a lot of threats and he was like no i love her and i'm going to protect her how sad is that where even after her rapist is convicted the rapist is convicted right and people are still being prison, assholes to her and, and he's still in prison, still at, in prison this at this point, point. yep um, he dares to marry her which really what people are mad about is that he's together they're proving that like oh no 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 there is no dishonored woman there isn't yeah exactly you'll find someone to marry you who's like a great guy he's an accountant and he's a little he's a little cinnamon roll doll and we love him it's it's threatening the system it's threatening the patriarchal system that's why they were getting threats right the the good part though is both the italian president at the time and pope paul the six i have to sneeze (laughs) anger sneeze so the great thing is both the italian president at the time and pope paul vi publicly expressed their appreciation of franca's courage and their solidarity with her re with her marrying this other like they're like yes this is what we want to see okay so not only are you getting approval from the country's government but the the theological government in fucking italy right so the president even sent the couple a wedding gift and the Pope received them as a, in a private audience soon after their wedding. Do you think the president just like sent them placemats? I really hope so. That'd be super funny. Can you imagine? If it was like, pre- so the, the, the funny thing is- It was is, a Target gift card. So her husband's name is Giuseppe. Mm-hmm. The president's name is also Giuseppe. It's a different last name, but I'm like, what if, what, what if he just got them placemats that just says like Giuseppe? He just, he just re-gifted yep. some personalized- Towels. Exactly. Or, uh, honestly, just get them a Target gift card. Everyone loves a Target gift card. So Franca and Giuseppe would go on to have three children, two sons and a daughter, and they still live in Alcamo, the town that she grew up in, which I think is amazing. And if you heard this, please don't be mad. So Legacy, um, she's had several films made about her, which is well-deserved. There's stories. There's a story by a Sicilian writer named uh, Beatrice Monroe. Roy? 
one of the two. And it's called There Was Nothing. There's also a 15-minute film based on her story, just titled by her name. In 2014, she was awarded the title of Grande Officiale de o- oh my gosh, sh- Del Oridine al Merito della Repubblica whew, by Italian President Giorgio Napolitano. I was hoping this present was all going to be named That'd Giuseppe. That'd be super funny. In a public <laughs> Different president, but still Giuseppe. In a public ceremony to mark International Women's Day. Aww. So... As recent as 2014, she is being honored. Um, so it is the Order of Merit of the Italian Republic is the English name of that. Um, but it's it's a very high honor, I believe. I I, I think I think we can all assume so, even if the the translation is rather lost right. on us. Um. So, like I said, she still resides in Sicily with her husband and grandchildren. And while I didn't know her story, she is starting to become an international icon for women's rights, whose resistance to her nation's institutionalized rape culture liberated countless other women. Girls growing up in Italy now have the freedom to choose their course of their own lives and say no without fears of threat and shame. You know what kind of... It, it, it it's a little unsettling. So like I googled I googled her because I want to see pictures of her. She looks like one of my friends. Ish. Like shockingly similar. And it's kind of I don't know. It kind of drives home that this did not happen in a vacuum. This is not a like oh in the before times thing. Right. This is this is, is something that's very recent. Shockingly recent and still horrifically relevant because just because you change the laws, which is a great step, doesn't mean you change the cultural energy. Right. So she is 75 years old currently. Damn, she um, looks good. Sorry. Sorry. I don't I'm, think there's any recent photos. I'm sorry. Of her. I'm like objectifying her. I, I, I shouldn't do that, um, but she's fantastic. But she, she, I mean, she's just absolutely amazing. Like she stood up for it. And then she like, she didn't let it hold her down when she wanted to get remarried. She found someone that loves her and she's still just like living her life. And I, I hope to God she's just living it up in Italy being amazing. I just, you know, what also makes me really, really happy is, you know, you said she had three children and regardless of the, the genders of those children, you know, and grandchildren, regardless of their genders, because of what she did and what she unfortunately went through and shouldn't have had to go through. Right. But for her fighting back, their lives, their world is a much better place. Right. And again, like we're both telling these stories of survivors who are speaking out against the system with no guarantee that the system is going to give a shit. Right. Because the douche canoe was kind of right. The law was on his side in a lot of ways. And if she had not had the support of her family, the story could have been very different. Right. There's a picture of like her next to a picture of like douche canoe with his lawyer. Oh, I fucking his, hate it. With his yeah. fucking hands. He's I'm doing like, the I just Italian hand. Punch you in the oh, no. face. No, I want to get, I want to curb stomp him. 
I'm like, you're already dead and I still want to punch you in I the know. face. I know. No one's sad. You're a piece of shit. Oh, there, I guess there are some more recent pictures of her. Probably from 2014 when she yeah. received her medal. I know. Doesn't she look great? Yeah, like, she does. Damn. I think I get my shit together. Right? <laughs> no, I mean, that's been just... like 60 something in these photos. And I'm like, damn, I hope I look that good at 60 something. I'm, I'm a 32 th- year old woman. And if I, if I had gone through something like that, I, I honestly can't tell you how I would react or, My life or how much like fall in a fucking part, how much energy I would have to fight back. And she is, you know, 16, 17, 18, when all this is happening. Right. And I, I, I think the important thing, like, obviously Franca is an incredible woman. She's a badass. She's, you know, exceptional, but she's ordinary. She's a teenage girl and this kind of bullshit, I guarantee you, she's not the first person it happened to. And I guarantee you, she's not the first person to fight back, but she won in her way. And that's really incredible. And just that she was able to maintain this sense of quiet dignity as you said before is really incredible because i i can't even talk about the shit that's happened to me without like losing it right and it was not an iota as severe no as that i yeah franca honey i just i, I wish you a you, hug i wish I you hope your life feels like a hug now. i want to i want to shake your hand because i just want to thank you yeah i just want to thank you for making making Italy a safer place and making it a place that women are allowed to say no. And like, obviously this didn't happen in the United States, but that stuff has a ripple effect. I just, it breaks my heart that that didn't happen, that she was the first person to take someone to court for that. And it was 1966 when it happened. And it wasn't until 20 years or just under 20 years later that the laws actually changed. Right. After like, this. It just, Dude, cold heart. Cheers, Franca. And Francis Thompson. It's never, it's never the wrong time to speak up. It's never the wrong time. No. It happened and it's never going to have not happened. So it's never the wrong time and it's never too late to speak up. And if you need someone, we'll we'll be there. We'll back you. I was gonna say, don't email me about like being too hard on white people in my story, but email me if you're like, I'm really struggling. <laughs> like, right. I will, I will listen. I can't guarantee. Or I will. If you're like, I need, I need someone to sit in court with me. Sure, I'll figure out a way to Dude, get. Dude, I will. Yeah, I will just fucking sit there and like give you thumbs up and like <laughs> weird smiles. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. No. Um. Well, shit. Okay, Kelly. I, I think mean, we it got lighter. No, no, no. It it did. It it's did. still it heavy. Was, the topic is heavy. It was one of those things but where amazing. the lows were so low that it made the high exceptional. Um, but it's still absolutely tragic that any of this could happen, and then it would like go to trial, and that this person could think that they. Anyway, Kelly, what are you thankful for? Because Jesus Christ, I think we all need it. We haven't had an episode like this in a while. No, and there were no Nazis. That's shocking. There were no Nazis. You know what? I went first last week. You go first. Well, okay. Here's what I'm thankful for. Um, So I, you know, I help out my friend, Sid, with her, with her daughter, 
Q mm-hmm. and Q had her ninth birthday recently and her big treat was to have like a sleepover at her grandma's house with a couple of friends and then we took them all to the Mall of America and there was this and, and like says she's just a she's a wonderful mother she's a wonderful educator but she takes on a lot she's got a lot and you know she's tired she's overwhelmed and unfortunately sometimes that's like the side that I see of her a lot and I'm just like what what can I do like give me give me a load um so we were at the mall of America the kid you know we had lunch the kids got their lunch first and then all the adults went and got their food all the adults finally come and sit down the kids are done eating and they start you know complaining like I'm bored and this and that and my first thought was like do you have any idea what your mother and grandmother and all these adults who love you are like doing to make this a fun experience for right. you? And they literally just sat down to eat, you know, and Sid, she didn't get mad. She didn't sigh. She didn't do any of that. She's like, let's play a game. And she, she played like categories with them, you know, where you like category dinosaur or Pokemon, you have to go around doing it in like alphabetical or you have to say something that the other person hasn't said and that's exactly what the kids needed. They needed to just be occupied. And it was so great to see Sid in this situation where she was like having fun and just able to kind of relax. And, you know, because I, I, I've seen her just struggle, you know, and it was great to really I'm like, this is the Sid I know. This is the Sid that I know she she is normally. Right. And I was just, it was really great to see. I was really thankful to be invited, not only by Sid, but Q, um, (laughs) to the birthday. Q was actually like, I'm only allowed to bring two friends, but you're an adult, so you don't count. (laughs) I'm like, thank you. Um, But yeah, no, I, I I was glad to be a part of that. It was really great. And I've been very fortunate to be able to be a bigger part of Q's life in the last year now that, you know, COVID has kind of, ebbed I only feel comfortable saying ebbed even that might be a stretch right. but you know we, we've all kind of acclimated to the situation so you know we've been doing her Q coupons you know I've been picking her up from her running group and like just getting right. to spend more time with her because there were like two years where I didn't get to see her where I was like oh my god you're like a fully fledged like you're not like a little totlet anymore you're not just like five like you're a kid with drama and feuds at school and tentative truces and girl problems and stuff like that so I've been I've been very fortunate to be a part of that but it was really nice to not only be there to support my friend and her daughter but also just to see that and like get to see my friend like having fun with it and really be in her element yeah and now we're gonna go see the Super Mario's movie and I'm very excited yeah you're gonna have to let me know how it is I like I don't know I'm I'm on the fence my my friend who I go and see movies with a lot he said I would like okay we will we went to see the nut job just to give you a, a dose of like our tolerance and what we like the schadenfreude we get out of seeing like right. terrible movies especially kid movies but he's, he's like I think you're going to enjoy it it's like it's it doesn't take itself too seriously it's goofy right. you know there there might be too many you know fan references but it's I'm gonna have fun regardless because Q's gonna have fun right that's all that matters yeah 
as long as she doesn't have to go to the bathroom in the middle because I already dealt with that when I was watching kids and took them to Monsters University and I was so I'm like can't you hold it this is like, like here's a cup child this is the emotional climax are you fucking kidding me right now? that's yeah. funny yeah that that's what I'm thankful for I'm thankful for the opportunity to be with and support my friend and then empower the next generation Yep. Kelly, what are you thankful for? You had so much time to think about I it. I know, but I like I ranted. I mean, I'm like, there is so much I'm thankful for after our stories, but I'm trying to like find something poignant. Poignant. Have you ever been to the mirror maze at the Mall of America? Nope. It will I've walked by it. Okay, I've walked by a billion times. That's what we did for Q's like special treat because the SpongeBob Flying Dutchman rope course was closed. That mirror maze will legitimately fuck you up. I was walking with my hands out in front of me and I'm like, what's real? And I ran into our friend, Jory. I'm like, Jory, are you real? And I'm like touching her face. We should do it sometime when we do the old timey photos, which we should still do because it's like across from there. Yeah. Yeah, that mirror mirror maze is. We should just go to the Mall of America sometime. Okay. Okay, we'll do it this summer. We'll plan it. If it rains when we try to go tubing again. I'm still mad about that. Still mad. Um, that was a really great bonding time when we were all looking for ammonium at Walgreens. That was super so. funny. <laughs> I like that we basically like ditched the boys. And we were just like, nah, you two do what you want. We'll find well, you later. And then well, they went to the car and just watched a movie. Did they? Yeah, because remember they had watched it on the drive up because I was driving and you were you were passengers. So they had started watching like Guardians of the Galaxy. And then after a while, they were like, well, we're done. And I was like, we were like, well, we're not. And they were like, okay, we're just going to go finish Because we movie. went to the aquarium. Yep. And oh, they my went God. And watched the movie. Fucking A. That's so funny. Because I just remember our friend who I who I won't name. She was having gut issues. And me and Kelly are like, we're like veterans girl. of gut issues. <laughs> and she was, she was so embarrassed. And we're like, honey, I could tell you some stories. Let me talk about the quarts of blood that have come out my ass. Exactly. Like, we're we're going to take you to Walgreens. We're going to hook you up. It's going to be okay. Yeah. But it was funny because she was like, I'm having gut issues. Me and Emily are like, girl. And she was like, <laughs> we all so, like start high-fiving. She was so embarrassed. And we're like, do not be embarrassed. And here's the thing. I totally get that because like when I started having there. my gut issues, like fortunately I was roommates with you. So I was able to share those things with you. Right. But I was so like, there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of like not talking about it. Same. But really the ability to talk about it was so relieving. And once right. she felt comfortable with us and like us telling our stories, her stress level went down, which actually helps with gut issues. Exactly. And then we saw, we went to look at the sharks and there were no gut issues yeah, because fun. Imodium plus girl power plus acceptance is truly powerful. That's how you fix gut issues. A hundred percent. Feminism. <laughs> Feminism and Imodium. I, I don't know. I think that's kind of what I'm thankful for is like all the friendships and stuff that through the last three years of school and everything else that I've been dealing with, like. I've just always had really good friends by my side and I'm really, I'm really thankful for that. Cause like, yeah, I haven't been able, me and Emily were talking about this prior to the episode. Like I haven't been able to do a lot lately or I haven't really been available or, you know, it's been like, Oh, I can hang out for a few hours and then I have to go do homework or I have to study or, you know, I have to take a month off of podcasting cause I need to write a 50 page paper. That was a thing. How many but, pages was it really? I'd have to check. 
Okay. I, I didn't know if you were it was like... Over, it was over. It, it was supposed to be it a 50-page paper. It was, still, it was, paper, it was 75. Like 30 and 50, and I think I was at like 42 oh, or okay. something. Okay. I was I was within the acceptable range. Um, but yeah, I'm just... I'm really appreciative of Justin, Emily, and everyone else like sticking by my side and helping me get through school. Oh, we love you. And life. I love you too. I love you. We got to do, you got to throw a grad party. Yeah, I plan to. I love that I'm putting that on you. Like now that you've graduated, you have to throw a party. No, I talked to Justin about it. I think he may plan something. We'll see. You might have to nudge him. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go harass him after we're done recording. And so I can do that. Thank you so much for listening to another and another episode. This episode has been exhausting. It has been. Another episode of Whiny About Her Street. I know this is a particularly heavy one, but again, this is why we're doing this because this stuff is still relevant today. It's important for us to know about and these women's stories deserve, not only deserve to be told, but need to be told. So thank you for joining us. I think next week's going to be lighter. We try not to like pile on. Um, no Nazis in my story as far as I know. Kelly? Nope, no okay, Nazis in great. mine. Great. Nazi-free episode. No Congratulations. Nazis. No genocide. No racial massacres. We're good. Yep. Um, please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHPAD. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is Whining About Herstory, where you can buy us a cup of coffee or rather a cup of wine or a bottle of wine. You can find our sweet-ass merch, and you can also find our Patreon, where you can donate for as little as $1, and it really helps us out. You can also find all the links to where you can listen to us and also leave some sweet-ass five-star reviews. Make our days just a little bit better. Super appreciate it. Super need it. I'm teetering on the edge of I just my take self-esteem. Now. Oh my god, I'm I'm oh, so ex- you're wonderful. I'm so excited to go to bed and cuddle up with my dogs and my cats. I love all the Snapchats I, tell I get you? of your animals. Oh my god, that is all I Snapchats. Did you get the one last night of like Dory with her little cow on her head? Yes. I was like, what the fuck? Is she that? looked like she was smiling though. She was like. Did you get the one I did? Did you get the one I sent where Arthur was like curled up on that really big bed and like you were like he's the biggest animal in the house? Yeah, well, I I sent the other one where it was like he stole half a chicken breast from me and I chased him around the house and then the basement trying to get it back and then I was like I don't want this back. I guess he just gets to eat it. And then he was like laying out on the big bed and I was like. This fat son of a bitch. I love him so much. I love him so much. He my baby. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Emily Loves Her Asshole Cats. And whining about her story. (laughs) I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.